What does it mean to connect to your future at Lake Michigan College? They connect you to your future opportunities. They partner with local industries and employers, ensuring their programs align to the needs of the community's workforce. Lake Michigan College can help you get to the future you want. Visit lakemichigancollege.edu. WSJM News Now. This is the 5 o'clock news block on News Talk Sports 94.9 WSJM. Brought to you by the Town Crier Wire. In the newsroom, I'm Andrew Green. Michigan State Police are reminding all drivers of the state's move-over law following the death last week of an MSP trooper on the side of I-75 in Kalamazoo County. MSP Pawpaw Lieutenant Dwayne Robinson tells us Trooper Joel Pop is the sixth fallen MSP trooper to be killed while on the side of the road performing duties. Southwest Michigan has had a trooper fatality on the side of the road. Unfortunately, back in 2000, Pawpaw fallen trooper Rick Johnson was killed on the side of I-94 during a traffic stop. And in fact, there's a stretch of I-94 in Van Buren named on his behalf. Robinson says under state law, drivers must slow down to 10 miles an hour below the speed limit and move over one lane if a lane is available when they see an emergency vehicle stopped on the side of the road. The public has a part in making sure that we can perform our duties as safe as we can by understanding this move over law in particular to make sure that there's nothing tragic that happens. Robinson says failing to obey the move over law can result in a $400 ticket. He adds, while it's not the law to move over for every vehicle on the side of the road, it's an appropriate courtesy drivers should give. A trooper pops death last week wasn't even the only time a trooper was struck on the side of the highway this month. Robinson says it happened in Oakland County on January 10th when a driver fell asleep at the wheel. In that case, the trooper is recovering. The Berrien County Road Department has enacted seasonal weight restrictions on county roads. The department's Audrey Boone tells us when the ice starts to melt after a cold period, it can put the roads at risk due to all the water moving around underground. Right now what we are seeing is there is some frost under the roadway surface that is coming out because we're seeing warmer temperatures. And when that's happening, it does make the roads very vulnerable and and more likely to have damages caused from maybe heavy loads, more so from the commercial side of things as far as commercial vehicles. Berrien County Road Department implemented the restrictions to this morning, and they'll be in place at least through Friday when they'll provide another another update. Boone says this is just something that has to be done following a snowy and cold period, although last year they did not have to implement weight restrictions at all. The restrictions only affect the largest and heaviest vehicles on the road, restricting their movement until the roads will be at less risk. A bridge demolition project is set for this week in Niles. The Michigan Department of Transportation spokesperson Nick Sharipa tells us they're tearing down the U.S. 12 bridge over M51 as part of an ongoing project to update the road. He says the bridge has been deemed unnecessary and too expensive to maintain. We are getting rid of that bridge. So U.S. 12 currently goes over M51, and we're going to make that an at-grade intersection. So just kind of a normal intersection with a couple of Michigan lefts and some new signals and stuff. Crews will get to work tearing down the bridge at 7 p.m. Thursday, and they'll work at night only through Sunday to complete the project. So can people come and watch? We certainly don't mind having people watch, but our safety is a concern, right? There's a lot of big, heavy machinery moving, a lot of chunks of concrete and steel, and it is something you can come and see. We don't usually set up uh, any kind of spectator area, but if there is a spot on M51, maybe a parking lot or that kind of thing where you can pull off a safe distance away and watch, you're certainly welcome to do so. Sharipa says once the bridge removal is completed, work will continue on the U.S. 12 corridor to build the new U.S. 12 and M51 intersection. 
The overall investment is $27 million. The project also includes repaving and rebuilding one mile of US-12 and two and a half miles of M-51, concrete pavement repairs, sidewalk construction, new traffic signals, pavement markings, and new signs. Coming up this Saturday is the annual Southwest Michigan Polar Plunge. The event at Watermark Brewing in Stevensville will feature a variety of teams taking to the drink, and among them will be the Berrien County Sheriff's Department. Sheriff Chuck Height will dive in. The Polar Plunge is part of the Law Enforcement Torch Run for Special Olympics Michigan, so it's a great cause. All proceeds go there, and, and uh, the Sheriff's Office has participated for the last several years. Height says that the Sheriff's Department's glad to raise money for the Special Olympics. We asked what it's like to take the plunge. It's cold. I'll, I'll tell you, but sometimes the air has been colder, depending on what the temperature is, is when you get out. So, you know, obviously after taking the plunge, it's cold, and I will tell you that your feet are the last thing to warm up. You can make a donation in support of your favorite polar plunger online or at the event Saturday. It'll start at noon. Height says the village closes off the street to traffic, so the event can attract a big crowd to support the Special Olympics. Congressman Bill Heisinger has nominated 10 4th District High School students to U.S. Military Academies for the year. As a member of Congress, Heisinger gets to suggest students for the U.S. Military Academy at West Point, the U.S. Naval Academy at Annapolis, the U.S. Air Force Academy in Colorado Springs, and the U.S. Merchant Marine Academy in Kings Point, New York. Among the nominees he's named this year is Jade Alpert of St. Joseph High School. Alpert's not just nominated for one service academy, though. Heisinger's put in Alpert for the U.S. Air Force Academy, the Naval Academy, the Military Academy at West Point, and the U.S. Merchant Marine Academy. He says it's a great honor to nominate Southwest Michigan's future leaders for those academies. The nominations are based on an academic advisory board interview that evaluates criteria like academic achievement, extracurricular activities, and leadership. The nominations announced today are for the Academy classes of 2028. Coming up this weekend is the St. Joseph Ice Fest. In downtown St. Joe, St. Joseph Today's Daniel Crevier tells us the event starts Friday night when ice carvers from all over the country will get to work downtown. We kick things off on Friday night with our professional individual competition, so you get to watch professional ice carvers carve one block of ice, and they turn them into magical works of art. And that happens from 5 to 8, and then immediately following that, at 8 p.m., we're going to have our fire and ice tower right here on the corner of State and Pleasant outside the St. Joe Today office. Kravir says Saturday will bring more ice carving and lots of ice-related activities for everyone. They include an ice throne, a frozen fish toss, ice ski ball, and ice bowling. Kravir says the main attraction is the ice sculpting. She notes a couple from last year stick out to her. Last year we had some angelfish actually right outside the Welcome Center, so that was really cool. And then across the corner from us near Lake Forte Coffee, Perennial Accents, they had a T-Rex, so that was fun too. All weekend long, visitors can take part in the scavenger hunt. Just stop by the St. Joe Today Welcome Center to grab a map. Completing the hunt will put participants in the running for a $25 St. Joe Today gift certificate. We'll have a link to the Ice Fest schedule at our website. And coming up Saturday, February 10th, is the Dwajak Conservation Club's 27th Annual Hunter's Rendezvous. Club President Craig Lyons tells us the event attracts hundreds to the group's grounds on M51 each year. We put on this event to raise money towards all of our youth programs throughout the year. It's free to get in, and it's basically a large outdoor show. We get people that come, and they bring mounts to get scored, to display, or just to come look. 
Lyon says the Hunter's Rendezvous is a family-friendly and with something for just about any lover of the outdoors. There will be main raffles for various items, bucket raffles, silent auctions, outdoor presentations, so like Birds of Prey program will be there showing owls and hawks and things. There will be a reptile show, a taxidermist on site. He'll be mounting a mount there at the event so people can kind of watch him and do his thing. Lyon says the Conservation Club supports youth programs like summer camps, nature programs, and educational programs at Dwajak Area Schools, supported with funds raised by the Hunter's Rendezvous. The event's free and open to everyone Saturday, February 10th from 11 a.m. to 5 p.m. WSJM News now continues with your Bloomberg report. WSJM News now continues. The Pentagon has released the names of the three American service members killed in an Iranian-backed drone attack this weekend. ABC's Andy Field does more. The drone strike on a U.S. housing unit in Jordan not only killed three Americans, but injured more than 40 others. Spokesperson Sabrina Singh. The names of those soldiers who lost their lives were Sergeant William Rivers, Specialist Kennedy Sanders, and Specialist Breonna Moffitt. All members of a U.S. Army Reserve unit based out of Fort Moore, Georgia. They were in Jordan helping fight ISIS in Iraq. Andy Field, ABC News. An enemy drone that killed three American troops and wounded dozens of others in Jordan may have been confused with an American drone returning to the U.S. installation. That's according to two U.S. officials who were not authorized to comment and insisted on anonymity Monday. The officials say preliminary information suggests the enemy drone that struck the installation known as Tower 22 may have been mistaken for an American drone that was in the air at the same time. The officials add that as the enemy drone was flying at a low altitude, a U.S. drone was returning to base. As a result, there was no effort to shoot down the enemy drone. The Biden administration has been working on an agreement between Israel and Hamas that would free hostages, pause fighting, and deliver more humanitarian aid to civilians in Gaza. The attack in Jordan that killed U.S. service members, injuring dozens more, has complicated things. ABC's Karen Travers is more. The White House says talks about another ceasefire to secure the release of hostages have been constructive and moving in a good direction. National Security Spokesman John Kirby. There's no reason why our work on a hostage deal needs to be affected or impacted by what happened over the weekend or what we do about what happened over the weekend. Still, Kirby said there is a lot of work to do, and he acknowledged the attack in Jordan that killed American troops and the expected response from the U.S. could impact those negotiations. Karen Travers, ABC News, the White House. A little-discussed U.S. military desert outpost in the far reaches of northeastern Jordan's become the focus of international attention after that drone attack that killed three American troops and injured at least 34 others. The base, known as Tower 22, sits near the demilitarized zone on the border between Jordan and Syria, along a sandy bulldozed berm marking the DMZ's southern edge. The Iraqi border is only 10 kilometers away. The small installation includes U.S. engineering, aviation, logistics, and security troops, with about 350 U.S. Army and Air Force personnel deployed there. An Israeli document is spelling out allegations against a dozen U.N. employees that the country says took part in Hamas's October 7th attack. The document claims seven stormed into an Israeli territory, including one who took part in a kidnapping and another who helped to steal a soldier's body. The allegations against staffers with the U.N. Agency for Palestinian Refugees prompted Western countries to freeze funds vital for the body, which is a lifeline for desperate Palestinians in Gaza. The U.N. fired nine of the 12 accused workers. Two were reportedly dead, and the last is being identified. The accusations come after years of tensions between Israel and the agency. It employs about 13,000 people in Gaza. 
It's a race against time in San Diego to clean up from historic flooding before the next storm arrives. More from ABC's Alex Stone. Over 1,400 tons of mud and debris have been removed from San Diego's streets after historically heavy rains hit flooding homes and streets last week. Oscar Pacheco's childhood home is being gutted because it filled up with water. San Diego is not typically a flood area. Oh yeah, we've been up since 6 in the morning trying to get this house uh, dried up because it's soaked. There's been soaked since Monday. Emergency efforts are underway to clear storm drains ahead of heavy rain expected at the end of the week. Alex Stone, EBC News. President Biden has made some strong claims about shutting down the U.S.-Mexico border in the last few days. He's trying to salvage a border deal in Congress that would also unlock money for Ukraine. He's trying to disarm criticism of his handling of migration at the border as it becomes an increasing matter of concern to Americans in the lead up to the presidential election. Biden's referencing an expulsion authority being negotiated that would automatically kick in on days when illegal crossings reach more than 5,000 over a five-day average across the southern border. The authority shuts down asylum screenings for those who cross illegally. And a new analysis has been done on where hate crimes are happening the most. ABC's Derek Dennis has more. The FBI looking at hate crimes nationwide and found schools in the U.S. are the third highest location for these crimes to occur. That's after happenings at home and on the road. FBI researchers say from 2018 to 2022, a staggering 30 percent of juvenile victims of hate crimes experienced it at school. And nearly 36 percent of juvenile offenders committed the crimes at school, with intimidation being the biggest form of hate, anti-black or African-American hate crimes the highest, followed by anti-Jewish and anti-LGBTQ offenses. Derek Dennis, ABC News. 